Welcome to another great message by Pastor Adrian Wright, lead pastor at Anchor Church. We pray this message will encourage, inspire, and transform your life. Our heart is to share the hope of Jesus with our city and nation. There is a spiritual discernment that is necessary, a maturity and a discerning that we grow in as we develop our relationship with Jesus. And so we read the scripture last week as well, but in 1 Corinthians 2 verse 14, it tells us that the natural person, the person, and when it talks about natural person, we're all natural people, but we are not just natural. We're not just merely human. Paul writes to the church in Corinth and he says, when you do these kinds of things, are you not just acting as if you're just merely human, as if you're only human, as if the only part of you is the merely natural part, as if there's nothing deeper, nothing more, nothing greater? So the natural person doesn't accept the things of the Spirit of God, doesn't accept them, rejects them, for they are foolishness or folly to him. And he is not able to understand them, even if he wanted to understand them, because they are spiritually discerned. And so if you are dead spiritually, which is what the Bible says we are when we don't have the resurrection of Christ regenerating our spirits, if you're spiritually dead, how can you understand things that you're dead to? things that you're dead in. You cannot ask a dead man to to explain life to you. And so in the same way, we need to be alive spiritually and then we're able to discern, not just in the natural, but spiritually. Certain things are spiritually discerned. We know them because God is speaking to us in the spirit. And so I'm, I'm, I'm just interested in that phrase where it says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, authorities, cosmic powers of darkness and spiritual forces of evil. Uh, you know, that, that we do not wrestle because what we can de- deduce from this verse is that Paul is actually saying the church is still often confused about this, thinking that the battle is in the natural, thinking that it's in the physical. It may present as physically it may present as circumstances. It may present as a, a relational breakdown. It may present as emotional or, or psychological issues. It may present as, as hardship. It may present as lack. It may present in many different ways. But the core of it or the, the root of it is spiritual. It presents as physical, but the root is spiritual. When you, have, when you see a plant coming up out of the ground, what you're seeing is the result of the root, not the root itself. The root is below what is seen, and that is what it is like. Certain things may present above ground, if I can call it that way, in a certain way, but below ground, there is a spiritual root, which is where, what we need to discern spiritually. It may look like persecution or resistance or attack, but it originates in the spirit. And so what Paul is telling us in Ephesians 6 is that God has not left you unarmed for that battle. If the battle is purely in the natural, what God should have given us, all of us, is is vouchers to the local gun store, right? So that we could all go there and be equipped for a physical battle. But God is not giving us vouchers to gun stores. He's giving us armor in the spirit because he's saying that's where your spirit, well, that's where your battle is. So he has equipped you for that battle. That's good news for all of us today. Amen. 
Come on, there's a battle and that might, oh wow, there's this battle I didn't even know about and, and I'm going to have to stand and I'm going to have to fight. But it's like, but wait a minute, God has equipped you. He's given you what you need to be able to, to fight this battle. We see it in the temptation of Jesus. Jesus was tempted with very much with physical things. There were physical things he was tempted with. So he is led out into the wilderness after his baptism. He's just been filled with the Spirit. The, the Holy Spirit has descended upon him as a, as a dove, uh, that imagery. And he is filled with the Spirit. And you think, okay, right now he's going to have no more hardship. The devil's just going to leave him alone. But no, this is actually sometimes when the, the, when the enemy increases the intensity of the attack. Because he's trying to discourage and break down. And so Jesus goes out into the, into the wilderness and Satan comes to tempt him there. And Jesus is fasting. What's he doing? He's equipping himself spiritually for the battle. And after 40 days, Satan comes to him and goes, oh, you must be hungry. Have some bread. Isn't it amazing how the enemy is able to exploit our greatest desire or sense of need? hey, you're, you're single and you're not married and you're lonely. Hey, maybe you should jump on Tinder. I, I, you know, I would, as a pastor, I wouldn't recommend that. But there are some people that will come and tell me testimonies about how they met their godly wife there. And okay, we'll, we'll talk about that later. But the point is, <laughs> the point is, is that those things often open the door to I'm lonely and so I need to fill this loneliness and the enemy says, well, why don't you try some bread? Or in that situation, why don't you just try casual relationships? Why don't you just try sleeping with a few people? Why don't you just try moving in with your boyfriend or your girlfriend? Why don't you just try this? Because So there's, it presents as a physical desire and Satan knows in that moment what he can offer you. Jesus is hungry and Satan goes, I see the gap. How about some bread? You know, maybe you're, you're in lack and there's an opportunity for you to do something that would probably be maybe a little bit iffy, uh, you know, in terms of integrity in order to make sure that you get the money that you need. You're like, well, nobody would really know. or This wouldn't be a serious, uh, you know, compromise. Or it wouldn't be, and, and you just compromise a little bit on your integrity in order to make a little bit of extra money. That's exactly what the enemy would do. That's exactly how he would tempt you. He looks for that gap. And so Jesus is hungry and he says, why do you not try some bread? And Jesus comes back and goes, I'm not focused on the physical. I'm, just, I'm not just trying to fill my belly and be physically or naturally fulfilled. He goes, I live on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. I may be physically hungry, but I'm spiritually full. And being spiritually full, I don't need to bow to your temptation. What did Jesus do there? He won the battle in the spirit. He won the battle in the spirit. Satan takes him up, leads him up to the top of the, a, a high point on the temple and says, why don't you throw yourself off and, and, and prove God, prove that, you know, that God is going to protect you. He says, I'm not, I'm, I'm not, again, he turns to the words, I'm not going to test the Lord my God. I'm not going to do that. And the next thing he shows him, all the kingdoms of the world. He says, look at all these kingdoms. Look at everything you could have. And he tempts him with, with earthly kingdoms. It's a spiritual battle, but the temptation presents as something physical. You could have all of this if you will bow down and worship me. And so this 
is a good example of just how the enemy comes against us. And we need to discern it spiritually. When you're facing a temptation, you need to ask yourself the question, what is the enemy trying to get me to do right now? How is he trying to trip me up right now? And what does the word of God say? Because remember, that is the sword of the spirit. And that's what we'll get to. But, but what, is, what does God say about the situation? And like Jesus, when it doesn't line up with scripture, we reject it. We reject it. Amen? Amen. So we need to recognize this battle. Luke 22, verse 30 to 32, Jesus speaks to the disciples. Really interesting verse. I've, I've often thought about this verse, but he speaks to Peter, um, who is known as Simon. And he says, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan demanded to have you. I don't know exactly how Satan made that demand. I don't know if there was a if there was an audience, if there was a, if he again sent a WhatsApp or an email. I don't know exactly what he did, but there was a demand that he made, and it's probably based on. And we looked at this last week. It's so powerful the fact that this that at this moment, this is before Jesus had died on the cross, and Satan still wanted a legal claim on the disciples because Jesus hadn't died for their sins yet. He says, they are sinners. They belong to me. I demand to have them. That's what the Bible says when it says that Jesus disarmed the powers and the principalities, the rulers and authorities. When he disarmed them, he disarmed them by doing what? If you read a few verses earlier, it says by taking the handwriting of the requirements, the debt that we owed and nailing it to the cross. So Jesus took all of our sin, nailed it to the cross, the debt was paid in full and said to Satan, you have no more claim. You can make no more demands over these people. They don't belong to you anymore. That's what he did. So by Jesus paying the price, Satan no longer could make the demand. But in this case, it's obviously before Jesus had gone to the cross. And so he says, they are mine. I want them. I demand to have them. Jesus he, Satan said that, uh, that he might sift you like wheat. That's what, that's what the demand was. I want them so that I might sift them like wheat, take them out. But Jesus is intervening. He says, but I have prayed for you. And you know that the Bible says that he lives to make intercession. Jesus is alive right now praying for you. He's praying for you right now. When you wake up in the morning, you think about praying. You, before you even think about praying, Jesus has been praying for you. How amazing is that? He says, but I have prayed for you that your faith may not fail. And when you have turned again, strengthen your brothers. When you have turned again. I love that because Jesus knew that Peter was going to deny him and fail. Because you might fail in your walk with God. But what I'm praying for you is that your faith may not fail. Because when your faith doesn't fail, even when you fail, you'll turn around. How powerful is that? The only way, I, I, I was once asked to speak on a TV show, like a quick little segment and bring a short word, and, and, uh, and, 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 I, and I called it the Christian F word. Because again, just, you know, like my t-shirt last week, I just wanted to stir some things up, you know. And the F word that Christians often believe in is the word fail. I can't fail. But actually, the, the only way you can fail is if your faith fails, if you don't if you don't believe in what Jesus has done for you. But as long as you believe, 
You will not be able to fail. You will keep turning it around. And not only will you turn around, but you'll be able to strengthen others also. And I, I actually found out that, that when Jesus says there, behold, Satan has demanded to have you that he might sift you, both those first two yous are in the plural in the Greek. They're plural. So Satan has asked to have you, all of the disciples, all of the people, that he may have all of you. And then when he addresses Peter directly, he says, but I have prayed for you, singular, that your faith, singular, may not fail. And when you, singular, have turned, you will strengthen your singular brothers. And so one of the reasons why we stand in faith is so that as we turn personally, we all as individuals have the responsibility of strengthening the you, plural. It's not just my job as, as the pastor to encourage it's our job to encourage one another, which is why Hebrews says, do not forsake the gathering together of the believers, but come together and build one another up. Encourage each other. And so as we are strengthened, we strengthen one another in this truth. In what? In our faith. We strengthen each other's belief in who Jesus is. Ephesians 6.10 again, finally be strengthened in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. And so the reminder there is, again, we are strengthened and we strengthen one another, not in our own strength, not in our own righteousness, not in our own ability, but in Jesus, in faith in him. That is where the victory over these demonic forces, that is where the armor comes from, is being strengthened in Jesus. And all of the pieces of the armor point towards a spiritual truth that we have in Christ. Something that we're able to clothe ourselves in. How do you clothe yourself in the armor of God? There are some practical elements, but primarily through faith, through understanding what Jesus has done for you. It's in Christ that we have victory over these demonic forces. We looked at that last week. We looked at rulers and authorities. It has, speaks about how our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers and authorities. And we saw that, first of all, Jesus is the one who created rulers and authorities uh, before as angelic beings. They be, fell and became enemies of God. And then G what Jesus did is that he defeated them. He disarmed them that we looked at now. He disarmed them by nailing the handwriting of the requirements against you to the cross. Then they became subject to him. And finally, he filled you with all that authority. And so there are no rulers or authorities that we need to fear because when we are in Christ, we have authority over that. He goes on to talk about cosmic powers in this of present darkness, which is the darkness of this present time, demonic spirits at work at the moment in this present age, and spiritual forces or spirituals or spiritual beings in heavenly places. So, so he, he mentions four different categories there. And some people have created a theology around principalities being over nations and powers being over regions and, and cosmic powers being over, over smaller areas and spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenlies or spiritual beings uh, being more along the, 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 you know, the, kind of, the kind of forces that would come against you in your own home. You know? and, and maybe that's true, but, but the Bible doesn't clarify it for us enough to build a theology around that. But what it does tell us is that there are cosmic forces at work, cosmic forces of evil in this present darkness, this age 
that we live in. And we know that there is a present darkness. Come on, you don't have to, you don't have to guess about that. I think that we could bring any atheist in off the street and ask, do you think that there's darkness in the world? Do you think that bad things happen? Do you think that, do you think that the world right now, as it is, represents a good God? Why, if God is a good God, why do evil things happen? Why do evil things occur in our world today? It's a question people often ask. And the answer is because it's a fallen world. Because the God of this age is at work producing this kind of darkness in people, through people, and against people. And so Colossians 1.12 says, we give thanks to our Father who has qualified us, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So there's darkness, but we have received light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. There is a darkness, but we've been delivered from it and transferred us into the kingdom of His beloved Son. So, You can know today that if your faith is in Jesus, then you have been delivered from that present darkness. It's not where you live anymore. It's not the kingdom. You may be surrounded by a world that exists in that darkness, but you are light. And you walk in light. And you're in in the kingdom of light because you have been delivered by Jesus. So you don't have to live in the kingdom of darkness. But our mission as the church And this is really the context in in all of this stuff that Paul is talking about in Ephesians. Our mission as the church is to bring that light to the world. Listen how directly he says this, or this it says this in Acts 26. How directly it says this. In Acts 26, verse 18, he says, I am sending you to open their eyes. They're blind. What happens when you're when, when you're blind or when your eyes are closed? It's dark. I am sending you to open their eyes so that they may do what? Turn from darkness to light. You wonder, you ask this question, if Jesus has the victory, why am I still fighting a battle? Well, because because there's a mission. And the mission is about people. You know, most wars in the world is fought over wealth, whether that's territory or, or population or minerals or resources. Wars are more often than not fought for wealth. But what is wealth in the kingdom of God? What is God's wealth? What does He care about? What is precious to Him? People, souls. So there is a battle that rages. Why is there a battle? Because there are people that are still caught up in the kingdom of darkness. We are on a rescue mission as the church. We're here to save. We're here to seek and save that which was lost. That was Jesus' mission that became our mission. I'm sending you so that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. They are under the power of Satan, unable to escape because they have not received the canceling of their debts that Jesus paid for. And so Satan demands them that he may sift them as wheat. But Jesus says, I've prayed for you. I'm sending you to open up their eyes so that they will turn from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God. That's the powerful mission that God has given us, that they may receive what? Forgiveness. Isn't it amazing that turning from the power of Satan to God comes through that process of grace and forgiveness, of sins and of a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. 
How beautiful. Those that have been made holy. Those that have the righteousness of God imputed to them. No longer in the grip of evil, but sanctified. This is what God does. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God said, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness. That's what he does. He produces light. Has shone in our hearts to give light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. God produces light through the person of Jesus. Ephesians 5, 14 to 16, we covered this a few weeks ago. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. Walk in light. Be imitators of God. Walk in love. Be light. Shine light. Preach the message, awake, O sleeper, and Christ will shine on you. Why? Because the days are evil, this present darkness. There's present darkness, but we are light in Christ, and we shine that light so that eyes may be opened up, and people will turn to the light and turn away from the power of Satan to God by receiving forgiveness. This is the message of the gospel. Amen? It's what we preach, no longer in the grip of evil. And so... It talks about those cosmic powers in this present darkness. And then it also talks about spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. And that doesn't mean that they're in heaven. Like God's just kind of tolerating them in heaven there. It's like, what are you guys still doing here? I thought I kicked you out of here. No, it means that it's talking about both the spiritual realm, but also just the sky, just the air above the earth. That there are, that there are spiritual forces uh, in this atmosphere that we contend with. And so we are free from them so that we may fight against them. There's a battle. And the battle is for what? For souls, for people, for the mission of God. If we look at that text again, Ephesians 6, 10 to 13, I want to sum it up here before I move into just one or two elements of the armor of God before we close. But Ephesians 6, 10 to 13 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers in this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Then he repeats what he said two verses earlier. He says, therefore, take up the whole armor of God. Before he said, put on the whole armor of God. That you may be able to withstand. Previously, he said that you may be able to stand against. So withstand. In the evil day, this present darkness, and having done all, to stand. So that we can continue to stand, no matter how much the battle rages against us. And so if I was going to sum this up, I would say this. I would say there are horrific, powerful, demonic forces present in the world, enemies of God and His church. Therefore, we take up the whole armor of God and put on the whole armor of God, empowered by the strength of his might and his character and who he is, so that we can do what? Stand firm. You will not be, be able to over, be overcome because God has equipped you in the spirit. And so when you withstand these enemies using the armor of God, you'll find that when the battle is done, when it is over, what will be your state? What will be your condition? You'll be standing firm immovable, strengthened, solid as a concrete block wall, as impregnable as a castle. 
That's who you are. That's what God does as he equips you. He goes on then and mentions six pieces of spiritual armor with which God has equipped you and what he has given to you. He says, stand therefore in verse 14, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, in all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. Six different pieces of armor, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, the shoes that are ready to share the gospel, the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. Now, interestingly enough, this is not just called the armor of God because it's the armor that God gives you, but actually because it's the armor that God himself wears. We find all of these elements of armor in the Old Testament as God's armor. Did you know that the Bible says that our God is a warrior? Not a warrior like somebody who worries. If I was going to be a really cliche pastor this morning, I'd say God wants to take you from being a warrior to being a warrior. You're going to remember that later. Driving home, I'm not a warrior, I'm a warrior. But God dresses us in His armor. How beautiful is that? He equips us with the very armor so that we can stand with Him in the midst of these attacks. God is a warrior. He fights the battles and He never loses a battle. We sang that this morning. He's never lost a battle. He has a perfect record of victory. Unlike the New Zealand All Blacks. I've waited many years to talk about the failing All Blacks. And now that it's happening, I kind of feel sorry for them. But we put on the armor and we wear God's armor. In Isaiah 11, I'm just going to run through these. Isaiah 11:5 it says, Righteousness shall be the belt of his waist and truth the belt of his loins. The belt of truth. God is faithful Faithfulness is the belt that he wears. It's the truth, is the belt that he, he just cannot lie. God wears the belt of truth. In Isaiah 59, 17, he put on righteousness as a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. This is all in reference to God. Isaiah 52, 7, how beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who bring good news. Psalm 5, 12. For you bless the righteous, O Lord. You cover him with favor as with a shield. Isaiah 49, 2. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. These are prophecies of Jesus. He made my mouth like a sharp sword. And so each of these elements that we get to be equipped with are actually the elements of the armor of God and characteristics of the person of Jesus and the truth that he brought to our lives. They correspond to spiritual truth. I want to touch very briefly just on these first three. The first one is the belt of truth. The belt of truth. I find it interesting that the truth is a belt. Think about how, uh, and even if you, if you think about uh, the book of Job, and God says to Job, gird yourself like a man. And I'm going to ask you some questions. 
to be girded, to put on a belt, which is kind of what it says, put on the belt of, of truth. It means gird yourself with truth. Dress yourself for battle. That's literally what the term would be. If you were going to be girding yourself for battle, it's saying there is a battle that rages and you, you need to get dressed for battle. Think about waking up in the morning and knowing that you're going to go to battle today. You're going to dress yourself a little bit more intentionally. And what holds everything together, the part that all the rest of the armor connects to and holds to is truth. The truth of who God is, His nature, His what He's done for us on the cross, who we are in Christ, your very identity of Jesus is the beginning of how you get ready. You do not dress yourself in the morning going, I don't know if I'm gonna make it through this. No, you prepare yourself as one who is in Christ. When you wake up in the morning, you remember the truth of who you are. You remember the truth of who Jesus is. You remember the truth of what He has done for you on the cross. And when you do that, guess what? You're dressed for battle. You can take on anything the enemy throws at you because you've begun your morning. You've begun your day. You're orientated towards the truth of who you are in Christ. And that is actually one of the main points where the enemy begins to lie and introduce uh, uh, falsehoods and deceit regarding your identity. And so you wake up and you wonder, is God really still for me today? Is, is he going to be with me? Has, did he really die for all of my sins? Or am I still going to struggle with this stuff? No, gird yourself for battle. Put on the belt of truth. Believe. How do you, how do you, in other words, what it's saying is, you've got to do something with truth. What do you do with truth? You believe in it. You believe in it. That's how you prepare for war. The breastplate of righteousness is probably the breastplate, if you ask Anybody in the time of the Middle Ages, which unfortunately we can no longer do, but we can assume, maybe we can find some writings from that time. But you do not go into battle. If you had to pick one piece of armor, you would put on a breastplate. Because this is where, even today, security companies, if they don't have any other armor on, they would have a bulletproof vest. Why? Because this is where your vital organs are. This is where your heart and your lungs and your, and your organs sit. And so if you're going to protect anything, protect your vital organs. And what, tells, what the Bible tells us is our righteousness in Jesus protects our lives. It doesn't matter what the enemy throws against you. Your life is protected in the righteousness that was imputed to you from Jesus himself, from what he did on the cross. Your heart and your soul will not be pierced by the arrows of the enemy because they are protected by the fact that you are righteous. You stand in Christ. You belong to God. You're guarded by righteousness. The righteousness of God protects your life. Colossians 3.3 says, you have died. Your old person, your old self died. And your life, your new life is now hidden with Christ in God. Your life is hidden with Christ. Satan has no access to it. If you've ever been worried, will I be lost? Will I be overcome? Will I lose the battle for my own soul? I want to tell you today that Satan cannot get to it because it's in Christ. It's hidden in God. That's the righteousness that you have. But the context in Ephesians is one step further. It says, put on the new self and walk in the righteousness that God has given you. In other words, not only are we righteous, but we practice walking righteously. And by walking righteously, 
We're protected from so many of the things that the enemy would want to use in our lives to destroy us. For, for example, if you walk righteous, righteously in your dealings, in your, in your company or in your, in your career, you will be protected from what the result of a lack of integrity would do to your career. If you walk righteously in your marriage and you remain faithful to your spouse under all circumstances, that will protect you from the destruction that Satan would want to bring to your marriage by introducing unfaithfulness. So walking in righteousness also protects our lives. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scriptures breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. And I love that. It doesn't say that for making one righteous. No, no, you, you, you are righteous in Christ, but you've got to be trained how to walk in that righteousness. Like having a sword is one thing, but then you need to be trained how to wield the sword. And so we are righteous, and then we learn to be righteous. Does that make sense this morning? Training in righteousness. Learning to walk in the righteousness you have protects your life. Final one this morning. Shoes that are ready. You're having your feet shod with the shoes that are ready. Readiness to share the gospel of peace. This is a challenging one for us. Because a lot of the rest is all about my life and my life being protected and, 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 and me being good to go. You know, me being, being protected from the attacks of the enemy against myself. But are you ready to move at the command of our general in chief. When God says go, are we ready to move? Are we ready to take the gospel out to the world? And, and how is that a weapon of defense, having shoes on? How is being ready to share the gospel with others something that protects you from attack? Have you ever thought that through? That's kind of the one that seems like an odd one out in the armor of God. Be ready to move. Isaiah 52 verse 7, I alluded to it earlier. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who publishes peace. How beautiful is that? We're publishing peace. Who brings good news of happiness and publishes salvation. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. We're here to publish peace. We're here to publish salvation to make it known to people, to tell people that God is victorious, that He reigns. That's our message. And the interesting thing is, is that what the Scripture is telling us here is that when we publish peace, when we become publishers of salvation, it strengthens us. So many times people say, I don't, we've, we hear this all the time as pastors. You know, my life just got so busy. I've just, things are just so hectic. I've just got this issue. I've got that. I just can't, I just need to step down from serving for a while. And I wish I could tell people, please don't. Because the Bible says, he who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. The Bible says it is more blessed to give than to receive. Not just because you're going to get blessings in kind, but because it refreshes you as you serve others. And so what the scripture actually says that we are strengthened in the strength of God's might by putting on the armor. And one piece of that armor is being ready to share the gospel with those in need. In other words, sharing and serving with others is actually going to strengthen you in return. You'll be far more strengthened by serving others than serving yourself. 
by preaching the gospel. It will not just bring peace to them, but it will bring peace to you. It strengthens you. And what does it help you to do at the end of the day? To stand. You will stand firm as you serve. You will stand firm as you give. You will be strengthened as you share the gospel with others. It helps you to stand. So we have the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Our feet are prepared. We're ready to go out and serve and be strengthened through our serving. Next week, we'll look at the helmet of salvation. And I specifically want to look at a question that a lot of people ask me is that, is that when they have certain breakdowns emotionally or mentally, is it a mental and emotional thing or is it a spiritual thing? How do I know when it's purely physiological and when it's spiritual? And next week, I'm going to answer that question. So we're going to look at the shield of faith and the sword of the Spirit and how God equips us to stand under every circumstance. But this morning, I want you to know that in every circumstance, God has equipped you with His armor so that you will be able to withstand and having done all, to stand. Amen.